HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet in Three. I, I think we should realize that we more or less have a broken food system. When 800 million of us go to bed hungry, uh, 600 million are obese, uh, we waste 30% of our food, then something is fundamentally wrong. We'll introduce you to one food waste solution happening in Asia. They introduced a system where residents were issued an electronic ID card that would open an automated bin and enable them to weigh the food waste being dropped off. And then they would be charged, you know, in a certain amount of money yep. for the weight of that food. And we'll take a look at some of the real struggles happening closer to home. How is it possible that a meal that was perfectly fine to consume at 10.59 p.m. then becomes waste at 11 p.m. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods, an online and wholesale distributor of heritage breed meat and poultry. Learn more at heritagefoods.com. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, October 24th, 2018. This is the 194th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a top editor and cookbook author based in Chicago, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to diversify your skill set. Seek to gain experience and be knowledgeable in more than one field, rather than putting all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak. By broadening your talents, 
you will most likely be more employable and have an easier time switching careers if that's something you desire. We all know that situations change, so it's good to be prepared for the unknown. Being extra skillful may just come in handy when you least expect it. That's my tip today. Now, just for my regular listeners, I had a little switch up today of my show. Um, I had announced last week that Kim Severson of the New York Times was going to be on. Uh, We are rescheduling, so stay tuned for that. It should be after the new year. We're going to find a new date. And uh, in the meantime, I'm super excited that I have an awesome guest calling in today from Chicago. It is Chandra Ram. She is a cookbook author and the editor of Plate, an award-winning food magazine for chefs. Chandra has a degree in journalism from Loyola University Chicago and a culinary arts degree from the Culinary Institute of America, as well as a certificate level of the Court of Master Sommelier exam. She spent years ping-ponging between writing, cooking, serving, and bartending, and has won multiple awards for her writing and editing work. So she is also a member of ICP, Les Dames, Discoffier, and the James Beard Award Committee. And without further ado, welcome to the show, Chandra. Oh, hi. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so I'm so honored to have you on my show and excited to talk with you about your career and everything you've been up to these days. So I always like to start out with my guests on how they got into the industry. So I, I gave a a little bit of a, a of a of a peek of the fact that you you have done writing and cooking and, and all sorts of things. Um, but why don't, why don't we start out with how, how you got into all of that? Well, I think that, uh, I, I think that when you were describing it, it made it sound like my career path is this incredibly well thought out thing. And <laughs> it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I've, but you know, I, I am in the rare position where I get to spend my days and nights, uh, focus on my two loves, which are magazines and food, you know, food slash cooking. And, you know, but honestly, when I was studying journalism, I thought that uh, the the only way to really get into food writing and that sort of thing was to either, uh, you know, do the newspaper route where you sort of bounce around from city to city, wherever there's a job, and hopefully you get to write about something you're interested in, or that, you know, you absolutely have to be, you know, somehow have an in at some, you know, publication based in New York and do that. And so um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But, um, you know, frankly, I, when I was cooking, um, like all sort of, you know, restaurant cooks, I always had one of those tiny little spiral bound notebooks in my pocket. And I was forever writing down prep lists or quick off of, you know, on the fly recipes and things like that. And one day uh, when I was, this is actually when I was in culinary school, when I was, uh, I was externing at Blackbird, the uh, PR person called and was setting up some sort of TV shoot at the restaurant. And I had graduated with a journalism communication degree and kind of thought that there was some sort of something in between working every day in a restaurant and working as a journalist that I could do. And so I just wrote her name down and wrote down the name of the company and um, several years later, after I had done a lot of consulting work and done like recipe development work and things like that, I pulled out that like crappy little 99 cent notebook with 
vinaigrette stains all over it and called the, uh, the PR firm and said, Hey, you know, what are you guys hiring? Are you interested in anyone for your restaurant division? And it was the day they were putting out an ad saying, we're looking for somebody to do marketing and PR work for restaurants. So that wound up working out really well. And I did restaurant PR for about, I'm going to say six or seven years. And I then didn't, I didn't know that. that. Transition of, yeah. Yeah. So I'm always like, ah, I know, I, I know what it's like to be sort of like, Hey, it's June, but let's talk about holiday appetizers or something, which of course on this end of the spectrum, it happens all the time that we're forever, you know, right now I'm working on the March issue of plate. So. Right. um, Well, and, and I didn't, I didn't realize, I really didn't realize you had PR experience. And I find for myself now as a publicist, Back, I mean, I jumped around a lot before I fell into PR. And one of my jobs, I was an intern at Food Arts Magazine, which I absolutely loved. But I, that experience of being on the other side in publishing definitely helps me on now on being on this side. So, you know, it's, 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 it's oh, great yeah. experience. So that's, um, that's really cool. And then you mentioned Blackbird, and I re- recently had Donnie Madea on my show. And so what years were you, you didn't grow up in Chicago, right? You, when did you move there? And then you've, you've been there since, did you ever, I mean, I've I've been here mostly since I moved here in, I'm going to say it was 1992. I, um, I started, I started college elsewhere and then transferred to Loyola to finish up here. And then I moved away for about four years and, like went to London and bartended for a while, and then I um, moved to Portland, Maine, and I cooked omelets on a hotel buffet line. Um, Fabulous! I'm trying to be as glamorous. <laughs> I'm trying to be as glamorous as possible here. And then I went to I uh, cooked in this hotel restaurant for a while, and then I um, went to culinary school. So I went to the CIA in New York, mm-hmm. and. Um, while I was there, halfway through the program, you have to you have to find an externship, and I knew I wanted to get back to Chicago, and so and Blackbird had opened like probably three or four weeks before, and no one knew that it was going to be like Blackbird, the legendary restaurant or anything. But um, I have this it's this like really funny six degrees of separation. It kind of feels more like 20 degrees of separation. I was, I was telling you to someone the other day, I'm going to try and get this right, but it's basically my college boyfriend's soccer coach's wife's niece. What? <laughs> with a guy named, with this guy named Paul Kahn. And oh, wow. Like, oh my God, like he came over to our house and he made this like wonderful salad and you should, and he's opening a restaurant. You should totally call him. And I was like, oh, okay. Whatever. What a connection. That's amazing. I know. And so it's like <laughs> every time I see Paul and Donnie and, and Edward and, you know, Rick, who passed away sadly earlier this year or earlier this year, I just think like, yeah, I remember you guys when it was like we were still like repairing holes in the wall in the basement prep kitchen there, you know? Yeah. And I'm thinking I just 
I guess I, I was trying to think if we did overlap, but I think I just missed you because I, I don't know if you know this, but I lived in Chicago from 1995 to 98. And I think I left right before Blackbird opened and there was nothing happening in the West Loop before that. So um, 20 years later, those, you know, <laughs> it's amazing. I know. Now it's like, it's crazy. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really astonishing to see how much Chicago's restaurant scene has changed in the last 20 years. Um, I feel like a, I feel like a little old lady saying that, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you're not, but um, let's, <laughs> let's, but let's segue then, that's good, into what you're doing with Plate Magazine. So when did you join the magazine and then how, like, what do you typically cover, cover for people maybe not as familiar with the magazine and, and what have you seen changing since, you know, in Chicago and beyond since you've, You've been working as the editor there. Oh, my gosh. So I actually, I'm proud to say I did contribute to the very first issue of Plate, which came out in October 2002. Okay, cool. Um, And that was, um, it was quite frankly, um, another another instance of dumb luck. But uh, Nancy Ross Ryan was the first editor of the magazine, and she... Uh, she was looking for someone who was an expert on fish sauce. And she asked me, you know, she, so, and someone said, oh, I think Chandra Ram, like, knows a lot about, she's like an expert in this. And I don't know why. It was like utterly wrong information. But she called me and said, hey, you know, can I interview you about this? And I know you've developed recipes and that. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's talk, you know, in three days or whatever. And then I like frantically went over to like, a Borders bookstore and just sat down and read all these books about Vietnamese food so I could give her the, you know, 11 words, you know, sort of sound bite that she needed for this article. And then she asked me to develop a recipe that really featured it in a, a Vietnamese dish. And so I did that. And then from there would develop recipes here and there for probably the next two or three issues. And then they asked me to write for it. So I was a regular freelancer for the magazine and then I took over as editor about 12 years ago. Wow. So it all started with fish, fish sauce. <laughs> it all started with a misunderstanding. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're supposed to, aren't you just supposed to, like, see the opportunities and turn them into successes? Isn't there, like, a fortune cookie, something that tells us we're supposed to do that? Well, I don't you, know. That's what I did. Well, <laughs> you've, well, I don't know within the, first 15 minutes of the show you've proved that you've done that now twice <laughs> which is yeah. which is amazing well it's like see the opportunity and then fake it till you make it and probably a lot of other things but um but yeah so I've been with plate you know pretty much since the beginning and you know we um most of our readers are chefs but we do have a lot of what I call high-functioning foodies, the sort of like home cooks that have Viking six-burner stoves and really want to like do more than read magazine content about like Thanksgiving dinner and stuff like that this time of year. So, um, but we do six print issues a year and then have, of course, a website and newsletters going out almost every day of the week. And um, we're really sort of focused on interviewing chefs around the country um, we do distribute all over the U.S., um, and it's basically about kind of what's next. Like, what's the really interesting thing that's happening at some restaurant you've never heard of in, you know, could be in New York, could be in Chicago, could be in Columbus, Ohio. And 
Um, what we do uh, really aspire to do, and I think most of the time pull it off, is just have a wonderful, like do a very deep dive into a single topic. So each issue is centered around a single topic. Um, for example, our September issue was all about foods of the Jewish diaspora. So what does, what does a traditional Jewish meal look like in India versus in Rome versus Mexico City? Or we did an issue earlier this year all about rice and its place in cuisines around the world. So it's all about like kind of finding the chefs who are doing things that are new and different and interesting, doing them very well, and uh, pulling them all into our into the magazine and into our orbit. Do you manage the content of the print and online, and what? Uh, what overlaps between those two? I know you you obviously have more content going online and between the daily emails, um, or or maybe not. Maybe oh yeah, we do, we do. So we we do have some of the you know like we have probably what you know what we believe to be the largest uh, database of restaurant recipes, chef recipes on the internet, um, because nothing that we do is not like you know, designed by a chef food-wise. So, mm-hmm. we, you know, we, we do newsletters just about the recipes, themed around, you know, what's in season this week. Um, we do a lot of interviews with different chefs. We'll do kind of our bite of the week, like here's an interesting dish that I, you know, had in like in the last couple of weeks. I've been in Dallas. I've been in New York. I've been in Oxford, Mississippi. I've, you know, like been in Philadelphia. So, you know, as I've been running around and traveling, what have I experienced? Our other editors, uh, Liz Grossman and Amy Kavanaugh. So we're pulling all of those things together. We do a newsletter that's that's every restaurant opening, closing, and chef move of the week, you know, for that week. So we do those things. And then we'll also have some of the content from the print magazine on the website so that we're hitting you on all sides if at all possible. That's that makes sense and that's great. I I do know one of my current clients, Eric Bruner Yang, was recently featured on Plate in a, an interview about how his ex, um, expanding his restaurant empire, and that was that was Nevin Martell, who I think he's he's based in D.C. Right? Um, he's based in D.C. But yeah, yeah, we work with writers all over the country, which is great because I don't want to hear just like what's happening from one perspective. I love it when somebody's like, hey. You know, you may not realize this thing that's happening in Kansas City or something. Are you covering the country? Or are you covering it's international too? Um, we'll do some things internationally, but we we usually focus on the U.S. But sometimes, you know, as need like with this issue all about foods of the Jewish diaspora, or you know, the rice issue, or even we did an issue earlier the, this year all about the huge strides Mexican food has taken. In the last uh, in the last decade or so, and how much more respected it's become by diners and chefs. So, we did a piece on what you know what things are looking like in Mexico City now. We've got an issue coming up at the end of the year, all about Peru, and so we've got a wonderful piece on the changing restaurant scene in Lima. Oh, so, yeah, it kind of depends on the topic. But for most of it, we do focus on the U.S. Our current issue is, is our Chef to Watch issue, which is an annual issue, comes out every fall, and it's rising star chefs around the country. So that's a really cool, fun one to work on. 
Very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a huge fan of everything you do and a subscriber. So uh, I look forward to my issue well, coming you. in the mail. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> let's take a little break here and then we're going to come back and talk more with Chandra and talk a little about what, what else she's doing with as a cookbook author. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods. Heritage Foods was founded to sell ancient breeds of livestock and poultry that were becoming extinct. Rare heritage breeds are saved when popular demand increases and farmers have the incentive to raise them. This Thanksgiving, we encourage you to buy a turkey from Frank Reese's Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch. Frank's turkeys are 100% purebred heritage, 100% pasture-raised, and 100% antibiotic-free. Turkeys are available in two-pound increments. You choose your size. Don't wait. Pre-order your Heritage Thanksgiving turkey today at heritagefoods.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Chandra Ram. She's the editor of Plate Magazine, and she's a cookbook author. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the books that you've been involved in. I know you have a new one coming out, uh, which I'm... I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Sounds amazing. So, how how did you get into into cookbooks? Thank you. I, um, you know, I've always, like I said, I've always just loved like food magazines, and I mean, who among us doesn't love cookbooks? And I had, um, so I've done this is I've done two uh, two cookbooks co-authoring with chefs, and then. Uh, the book coming out November 9th is the Complete Indian Instant Pot Cookbook, um, which, spoiler alert, is about cooking Indian food in an instant pot. <laughs> but it's, so that's my first one on my own. But it's, um, it's just been a very, very cool experience. And, um, you know, it's something that it's, it's like a kind of half sidestep in some ways because it's a very different type of writing than what I do for plate, you know, where our audience is, is extremely knowledgeable about cooking. You don't have to explain much of anything to them to write for the consumers. It's, you know, just very different. Um, you have to, you know, and it's as well, like doing a personal project, I'm able to, you know, insert a different voice in my writing than necessarily what I would do for the magazine. Um, and then as well, it's, it's just very cool to work on recipes. And, you know, this is something that I always, I always felt like I, you know, I miss when I'm cooking all the time, I miss the experience of writing. And when I'm writing all the time, I miss the experience of being involved in hands-on in the food. And so writing cookbooks, whether it's on my own or co-authoring for a chef with a restaurant, it's really, it's really a nice way to make sure I'm center in that world. Right. So what inspired your cookbook, the, the Complete Indian Instant Pot Cookbook? And I, I saw this wonderful article that Melissa Clark wrote in, in the New York Times, and that was entitled Indian Cooks em- Embrace the Instant Pot, which I didn't realize was a whole thing, which is why Melissa Clark is amazing at pointing that out. <laughs> I know. She, she really is amazing. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's something that, um, you know, with, with Instant Pot, in it, 
it's a multi cooker. And so you can use it as a slow cooker. You can make yogurt with it. You can do all kinds of things. But the main use, I think, for myself and for a lot of people is the pressure cooking. And Indian food is typically cooked in a pressure cooker. All of my cousins and aunts and uncles in India have pressure, have stovetop pressure cookers. And it's just the way things have uh, been cooked there for a long time. I mean, a lot of it is the fact that you're using uh, dried lentils and chickpeas and uh, grains and rice that do uh, do benefit from cooking in a pressure cooker, um, as well as some of the pickles and preserves and that sort of thing. And quite frankly, a lot of times in India, like people grew up using um, gas or propane stoves because electricity would go in and out sometimes. So those gas and propane stoves were more reliable. And so you do everything on the stove and in a pressure cooker. So when pressure, when the Instant Pot came out and friends started telling me about it, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, mm-hmm. this, is so, this is a way to cook Indian food on a, you know, in a pressure cooker without having to stand over it, without having to count. Like, if you look at old Indian recipes, like, they'll tell you, you know, you cook it and you're going to wait until it whistles three times. You're like, okay, that feels a little scary just <laughs> thinking about that. It's not very exact or anything like that. And with the Instant Pot, like, you you really can sort of, like, put something in there. And if you need to go out and come back in an hour or two, it's fine. You don't have to watch over it. You don't have to do any of that. So, you know, for me, it was, it was a way to, you know, I'm, I'm half Indian and half Irish. And so I would say, like, most of the Indian food I've eaten in my life particularly when I was growing up, was made by my Irish mother. And so I didn't grow up with a pressure cooker because my mom didn't use one. Mm-hmm. And but this was a way for me to really kind of connect in a, like via food with my family and my Indian heritage in a way that was just incredibly easy and not intimidating at all. So the recipes in the book, I mean, there are some ones that are, there are a lot of recipes that are very traditional. Um, I won't say authentic because I think authenticity is like a super, it's, it's like almost inappropriate to say with, with, uh, with food because it's such a relative term. But, um, but also, there's also a lot of recipes that are very much how I cook. I mean, reflect the fact that I grew up in the South or that I love coconut or you know, this is something that, you know, might be like, hey, you know, influenced by something I ate in a restaurant or something like that. So I had a lot of fun with it. It was really, really cool to be able to create those dishes and come up with ideas, play around with them, see what worked, what didn't work and pull it together. Yeah, I think I have to go get an Instant Pot. I don't have one because do you, do you definitely need one to do the recipes that are in the book. You do need one. The recipes are written for cooking in an Instant Pot. Okay. That said, I think that if you're someone who doesn't have an Instant Pot but is familiar with cooking, you will be able to tell, you'll be able to easily figure out how to cook something in a slow cooker instead or just simmer it on the stove instead. So the timing obviously will be off. You're not going to have butter chicken in eight minutes. Uh, you know, like you would the Instant which, uh, which is so, that's like incredible that you get so I quick, know, right? 
Yeah. It's so funny to me where it's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to set the rice to cook for three minutes. Okay, that's weird, but it totally worked. So don't argue with it. Right. What were the other books that you did with chefs? What were those those topics? Um, I worked with uh, Chef Joho at Eiffel Tower Restaurant in Las Vegas. Uh, he also has Everest in Chicago. Oh, okay. um, so we yeah. wrote his Eiffel Tower Restaurant Cookbook, um, which is a, like a wonderful, like, classic French uh, dishes, the way they do them at the restaurant in Vegas. And then uh, earlier this year, I had uh, Bill Kim, who's the chef owner of Urban Belly and Belly Q in Chicago. Uh, He and I had our uh, Korean barbecue book come out. Oh, that's wonderful. So for do you, would you want to do more books in the future? And would your next book be solo? Or would you want to team up with another chef? You know, I'm definitely interested in both. Um, I really like working with chefs. I think that the, you know, I guess at this point, like kind of more than a decade, I've spent interviewing chefs and whether it's for an article I'm writing or a Q&A type piece or even something I'm ghostwriting for them for the magazine. Um, it's kind of taught me a lot about working with chefs and communicating with them. And then certainly the time I spent as a publicist was a huge lesson in that, as I'm sure you understand <laughs> very, very much. But um, I like working with chefs. I like, I think doing a book is for so many people um, such a, a huge goal and something that's very personal to them. And so many chefs I know don't feel comfortable writing and that's something that I am very comfortable doing. And I, it feels like a good way to take all of my different experiences and channel them into something that, you know, kind of like helps somebody's dreams come true to, for them to be able to do a book and, and work on it in a way that, you know, while it is still work, let them, um, let them do it in a way so that it's doable. Yeah, well, that that makes sense, and that you can be that person is is terrific. So, um, yeah, it's lots of books out there. It's great. Okay, so we're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back, and we're going to play my speed round game, and we'll talk a little industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Okay. This is the story of men and women who shed not only their clothes, but also their... This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods. Heritage Foods was founded to sell ancient breeds of livestock and poultry that were becoming extinct, largely because industrial agriculture willfully pushed healthy heritage breeds aside for more profitable, faster-growing animals. Rare heritage breeds are saved when popular demand increases and farmers have the incentive to raise them. This Thanksgiving, we encourage you to buy a turkey from Frank Reese's Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch. Frank's turkeys are 100% purebred heritage, 100% pasture-raised, and 100% antibiotic-free. Turkeys are available in two-pound increments. You choose your size. Don't wait. Pre-order your Heritage Thanksgiving turkey today at heritagefoods.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Chandra Ram. It is time for my speed round game. 
So what this is, is I name a few things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Are you ready? Are you there? I'm sorry, I just heard the... <laughs> do you need... To, do you, yeah. Are you there? Hi. Hi. I am. Um, I came in at chocolate or vanilla, and so okay. tell me the first part. And that I'll was the example of the game, so I'm going to give you choices okay. such as chocolate or vanilla, and you pick your preference. Okay. I'm in. Cool. <laughs> Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Oh, you know, I have been in four cities in the last two weeks. So at this moment, eating in is my preference. But um, needless to say, I never stay away from my favorite restaurants. <laughs> Good answer. How about I have a little bit of a cumulative food hangover. How's that? Yeah. It's a lot of restaurant meals. It's a good life, but sometimes need a small break. Yeah, I hear you. How about wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Um, you know, I enjoy all of them, but there's very there's very little I love more than a glass of wine. Tasty. So okay, so we'll like go with wine. Oh, like we're gonna get yeah. specific. I love it. We're gonna get super specific. <laughs> How about tasting menu or a la carte? I don't like a la carte. I, I enjoy uh, just being able to mix and match a bit. And I, um, you know, I don't know. It could be like a control thing or something. I just enjoy being able to set the pace myself. Cool. How about small plates or large plates? Um, you know... I think in restaurants, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge snacker, and so I love sort of just grazing on a lot of different things. But I think in restaurants, we've had too many small plates, and inevitably, you know, you're encouraged to go to a small plate restaurant with a group, and you order a ton of different plates, and you wind up at the end of the night having had a meal of a single bite of 13 different things, and it just doesn't feel great. So. Yeah. I'm on team large plate. It's a good team to be on. I tend to think I like the yeah. small plates with the when, when I'm solo, for sure, because then I can try more things. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, I guess it's, it depends on the circumstance. Okay, so a few more. Communal table or chef's counter? I love the counter. I love sitting. I love eating at counters. I love eating at bars. I think that it's underrated. Um whether I'm by myself or with one, maybe two other people, I just, especially if you can get the corner part of the bar, but <laughs> I, um, I like sitting in a bar. How about tipping or all-inclusive charge? I, um, I, like, I think of myself, I definitely uh, try and be very thoughtful about tipping well, but I would love for our industry to get away from the tipping model and just pay everybody well for doing good work and uh, erase, erase that uncertainty. So let's go all-inclusive. All-inclusive. Editing or writing? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Did I finally stump you? I, you stumped me because it really, it, it, like, it doesn't just depend on the day. It depends on the time of day. 
So I usually start the day with writing um, because somehow everything clears up in my head overnight. And so I get up in the morning and write. And then after that, it is nice to be able to edit somebody else's work. So it's a combo. Uh, it depends on time. It's a combo. Okay. Sorry, so is that allowed? It's, it's, there are no rules really in this game. <laughs> uh, you're so benevolent. <laughs> I just, it's fun. It's fun hearing people's explanations. Um, <laughs> We're all apologizing to you for what we like. It's great. <laughs> okay. I have three more. Go through them. Try to go through them. This, well, this one, instant pot or crock pot. I mean, I feel that's an easy one for you. I mean, I think, I think the instant pot, especially if it's for Indian food. Yeah. That's for a plug. Apparently so. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Cheese plate. Cheese plate uh, gives you permission to get that final glass of wine. So <laughs> can't good, not be good on reason. cheese plate. Okay, last one is Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Chicago. Ooh. You know, I have a love for all three, but I know your listeners are all over the country, and I think that um, I think that more people need to get to Chicago and check out what we're doing, the restaurant scene here, and in all the little neighborhoods. Come to Chicago and get outside of downtown and check out all the like small independent restaurants. We've got some good stuff. Yeah, you definitely do. Strong dining, and 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 so much more so than when I lived there too. It's really developed and. The past oh, it's 20 exploded. years. Exploded, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. That was the game. Uh, now, so industry news, before we get into a little talk, I just want to give a little shout out to Star Chefs International Chefs Congress, which happens earlier this week. It was took place at the Brooklyn Expo Center in Greenpoint, and it's a three-day annual conference that they do. I've been many, many times. I don't know how many times I've been. And I went for, for um, partial, partially for two of the days. Um, I mean, it's for people who don't know, they have business talks, beverage seminars, hands-on workshops as a main stage with presentations. There's parties. Um, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big three-day conference and they do a really great job. One of the, one of the talks I went to was with uh, Dominique Kren and Danny Meyer, Tanya Holland and it was moderated by Carrie Diamond and it was called A Path Forward Women in the Kitchen. It was a it was a really it was a it was a really good talk, I think important to what's happening in our industry. And um I just want to give a shout out to Star Chefs and to Antoinette and Will and the whole team. You did a great job. People who don't know, I worked at Star Chefs back in two thousand one, way before this ICC conference started. So it's very it's impressive to see where they've taken it. So if anyone wants to check out for the future, they do it every year. It's starchefs.com and probably most of my listeners are familiar with it but just in case okay so um industry news two articles that came out in the past couple weeks on the james beard foundation awards and the first one on eater the james beard foundation names an award for jonathan gold and the second was how the james beard awards are trying to be more diverse and so you're, Chandra, you're on the awards committee, so. Yes, I am. I am on the journalism committee, and I do some of the voting for the chef and restaurant committee. 
How long have you been involved? Uh, is that? I've been a regional judge for chefs and restaurants for, um, gosh, I'm going to say like seven years, six, seven years. And I just joined the journalism committee this year. Okay. Yeah. So this, I mean, this, this, these articles are talking about changes happening. I, I guess as from your perspective or where you sit, you know, maybe you know even more than I do because I'm not on a committee, but it was, you know, this, you know, trying to diversify and, and, um, just the changes that they, they've implemented or are implementing the Jonathan Gold Award, as I said, will go to, um, honor new writers who are telling stories of their cities and regions. They have a new award, a short form personal essay. There's a new restaurant design award dedicated to other eating and drinking places. And then another major change is that they've um, waived the media awards entrance fee for the first time, for first time entrance and then for the first two week period just to make it more accessible to more people. I think that's, that's really great. Um, yeah, it's something that, um, and I absolutely give uh, everyone at the James Beard Foundation and the heads of the committees a lot of credit for um, for recognizing that both, you know, all parts of the industry change. I mean, you can't be awake in America and not think about how much things have changed in journalism and how much things have changed in the restaurant world. And so the foundation has really you know, want, wants to be nimble and be able to move with the times. And the fact is that, you know, restaurants aren't, you know, the idea of a restaurant has expanded so much. And, you know, when I was looking for, you know, like scouting chefs for our Chefs to Watch issue, I mean, there was one point I was standing in a tent behind a bar at a pop-up. Another time I'm like sitting at a, at a bar someone borrowed from a friend and was like hosting his dinner there. So it's like things have really changed. So with the design awards, I'm not on that committee, but I certainly respect that they were looking at what's outside of a traditional four wall, you know, brick and mortar restaurant. And then for the journalism awards, we recognize that journalism has changed quite a bit. There are so many more people who are freelancing for a lot of different publications. And we wanted to make a statement by making sure that the awards were more accessible to writers and really encourage new voices in there. So it doesn't feel like it's the same established journalists all the time. Yeah. And also in one of these articles, it was talking about how the foundation is changing its stakeholders to ensure that the chef and restaurant awards are more reflective of uh, the makeup of the industry and saying uh, that there will be as diverse of, of as the the population of the U.S. So they're adding more committee members, um, just certainly looking at to reflect the diversity of what's happening in our, you know, of, of everyone in our country and everyone in the industry. And I think that's, that's also a, a great, a great thing that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the foundation and the you know the heads of the committees are are very proactive in making sure that as many different voices as possible are heard. And you know, I was really I was 
so happy we were able to do something uh, to create an award honoring Jonathan Gold. I mean, mm-hmm. my God, last summer, the, it was like uh, losing Anthony Bourdain. And then just a few weeks later, Jonathan Gold was such a one-two gut punch to so many of us in the industry to lose these people who we respected so much. And, you know, for Jonathan, I, he and I had met several times, spoken, I'd interviewed him. Then, um, you know, this is someone who showed the, you know, Los Angeles to his readers in a way no one else did. So it's really, it's a really wonderful tribute to him to, uh, to create this Local Voices Award uh, dedicated to him. I agree 100%. So, um, yeah, so I'm then I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, my annual trip to Chicago, <laughs> thanks to the James Beard Awards, because I want to be there. Uh, I'll be back, you know, back in May to, to celebrate and be a part of this. So look forward to seeing all this stuff implemented. Okay, we're going to take one more break, come back, I'm going to do my solar dining experience, and then we'll have the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. of men and women who shed not only their clothes, but also their... And we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at RH Rooftop Restaurant at RH New York. Here's the rundown. The location, 9 9th Avenue, Meatpacking District, New York City. The concept, a retail restaurant collaboration with the furniture store, formerly known as Restoration Hardware. They're now going by RH. The owner, Brendan Sadikoff of Hogsalt Restaurant Group, which he also has Oshavelle in Chicago and Fort Charles Prime in, Ch- in New York City and, and multiple restaurants in Chicago as well, very very wonderful um, restaurant group. So why did I go? Because I've been to RH's original location in Chicago with its Three Arts Club Cafe, and I'm a fan of that restaurant and the whole concept. So my experience. So yesterday I happened to be down in the meatpacking district for a meeting, and I just decided to go check out this restaurant, and I walked in for a late breakfast, and I was just impressed with the whole space. It's five floors. The top floor has a rooftop restaurant. And it's a, I mean, I have to call it Restoration Hardware. Just, or I'll get used to the RH. But it's a, it's a beautiful furniture store. Um, it has a glass, glass elevator in the center of the space that goes up to the rooftop. I ended up walking, walking up because um, I was getting a feel for it. And um, I sat up, up top and I took out my laptop. I did a little work and I enjoyed breakfast. So what did I get? I had a drip coffee and they refilled that a few times for me. And I also had RH Scramble, which was farm eggs, creme fraiche, avocado, and Texas toast. And I also had a little uh, jam on the side to go with the toast. My take, it was delicious. It was a really nice portion size. The eggs were fluffy. The brioche toast was 
was was fresh and delicious, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. So the ambiance, it's a gorgeous space. It has glass windows and roof. There's crystal chandeliers hanging above. It has these manicured hedges and marble tabletops. And there's a downtown view um, from the rooftop. So I'd say it's perfect for a work meal, a business lunch. Um, I imagine at night the it's great to have drinks out on the rooftop. Uh, interesting tidbit. So the space is formerly known as the home of Keith McNally's Cine Pastis. Pastis closed, but it's moving around the corner, and I don't know when that's scheduled to open, but I hope maybe next year. I don't know. It feels, it feels it's taken a while, but I believe it's coming back. Personal fun fact. After breakfast, I just ended up down on their second floor that sitting at one of their communal tables and doing some work. It's really a great workspace, and I will be back for that. The cost of my meal was $20. That's not including tax or gratuity. And as I said, I would go back, and I'd love to try. They have a burger on the menu, and Achevel is known for their their burger. So um, maybe next time I'll do that. And their website, I think it's just restorationhardware.com that you can go to and find out more. So, um, Chandra, I was excited to talk about that, figuring it was a concept I knew from Chicago. I, I kind of didn't want to leave. <laughs> I was doing work. I had great, a great meal, great coffee, and the, it's, it's, and the staff is lovely. Yeah. So, um, it's a good addition to our meatpacking district. Okay. So Very cool. I'll have to check it yeah, out. Yeah, next time you're back. Okay, time for the final question. My next guest is Michael Solomonov. He is an award-winning chef and owner of Zahav in Philadelphia, which does his modern Israeli cuisine. And he has a new book out that he co-authored with Stephen Cook, and it's entitled Israeli Soul, Easy, Essential, Delicious. And he's done a couple books with with Stephen Cook. He also has Federal Donuts and Zahav book. So... um, Chandra, what would you like to ask Michael? I would love to ask him, and I, I'm just such a fan of his, and I, you know, I think he's absolutely very thoughtful as both a chef and a business owner. And so I look at what he's done and what he's been able to accomplish with this group of restaurants that are delicious, have wonderful food, but also have really great soul. Um, I was... I was stuck on a chilly, rainy night in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago and ran over, left the airport, ran over to the bar at Zahav and ate. And it was like the room was packed. Everything just felt good. And I, you know, absolutely attribute that to him. So I'm curious for, for Michael, if he looks at what he wants to do in his future, is it more focused on the mentorship and staff development or is it, I know he loves just kind of, you know, getting in up to his elbows and bread dough and just kind of hanging out and doing that too. So where does he see his future as a, as a chef restaurateur? Awesome. I will find out. And I love, I love his restaurants too. And, and, um, Zahav is the time I was there. I sat at the bar and I ate by myself and the vibe and everything you described is, is so on point and yeah. How does he do that? <laughs> so I am just, I'm such a fan of his and so impressed by what he does. Yeah. So I hope that he's enjoying it as much as we are. Yeah. Yeah. Ditto. 
So that is the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. And it was so great running into you in New York. Was it last week? That was yes. just. It was just the other day. And I was like, oh I my know. Gosh, I would love to be there. I would love to be. And then you asked me to be on the show. And I was like, is it possible to fly out so I can hang out with Sherry and eat <laughs> pizza? But I'll have well, to do that another time. Next time we'll coordinate that better. But it was really cool running <laughs> into you. It was unexpected. And the fact that then that led to us doing the show today is perfect. So um, thank you so much. And congratulations on your whole career. And uh, I'm looking, the book's coming oh, out. Thank what you. You, you said um, November 9th? November 9th. Okay. Yeah. Everyone go get the book. And if you don't have an instant pot, go get, get that book. too. <laughs> Yes. Okay, so thank you. I'll do my my roundup here. So my guest today has been Chandra Ram. She is the editor of Plate Magazine and a cookbook author. You can find her website is plateonline.com and on social media at Plate Magazine and at Chandra's Plate. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify if you like to listen as a podcast. Thanks to my engineer today, Noam, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Nobody